0: Six million tears fell to the ground. J.M. and the A.M. on this Yom HaShoah. Day 11 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Uh, we've had somewhat of a tradition here on Yom HaShoah over the last few years. We've brought Leon Goldenberg into our studio. We've had full-length conversations because his uh, family's history is so uh, connected to the uh, Shoah, connected to World War II. I'm going to strongly suggest that if you uh, go to our website and search, literally search Leon Goldenberg, you listen to some of those conversations from past Yom presentations, the stories of his mother and uh, her sisters, they are chilling. They um, emphasize uh, what our uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents went through in that era, and it's really important. Uh, Today I asked Leon to join us, um, uh, not for one of those full-length conversations, but in the context of what he's been discussing with us recently here in New York, We're expecting uh, changes over the next few months. It's one of the reasons he's going to be presenting uh, interviews with candidates for mayor uh, each Wednesday in um, April, May, and June, right after JM and the AM. Um, But uh, we really are bringing him on today for for two important messages. One, that uh, as precarious a position as we are in now in this area, especially in light of the pandemic and the politics in the United States, etc., we are still way better off than those from his past and our past. And uh, the second message, of course, is uh, to be wary. Uh, just the opposite, that uh, even though things are the way they are, you never know when they can change. And that's something that his uh, relatives uh, saw firsthand. Uh, Leon, uh, thank you so much for joining us again on this uh, Yom HaShoah here at JM in the AM.
1: Thank you for having me again. It's a very difficult subject for me always. Uh, it brings back memories of my family, not that I lived through it, but I lived through it through hearing about it.
0: And it was, as you've told us in the past, uh, you heard about it uh, not immediately uh, after it happened, or not even close to when it happened, sometimes, or very often I should say, it took time for survivors to to open up and uh, and bring these stories both to their children and to the greater community.
1: So it's partially true. Uh, From my father's side, he never, ever spoke. But he did pass away 46 years ago. Right. And uh, certainly unexpectedly, uh, a very short illness. and, um, And I was young, and I was probably too stupid to ask him and to press him. But he really, by him, the world started, as far as we were concerned, in 1947 when he met my mother. And he never discussed life before that—not the war, not the first two years after the war, and certainly—and uh, n- not even the years when he grew up in Europe and was married. And if you permit me, I wrote—I
0: sure.
1: wrote an obituary many years ago uh, about my father, and I just want to read the first, you know, beginning. I don't want mm-hmm. to read the whole thing. No problem. A fire burns within me. With these words, my father of Ram Abba Gold Mirkova started his last will and testament. Our family found a single-page testament after my father's untimely passing, Some that was 38 years ago. This was not a will to distribute his worldly assets, but a cry to heaven to avenge the murder of almost his entire family, the Hurm Europe. A fire burned with him as he wrote the names on, on this tear-stained page. The members of his immediate family who perished in the Nazi Inferno, the first person he listed was his mother, and then his siblings, one by one, and their respective spouses and families. And finally, at the bottom, drenched in tears, he listed his wife and five children, Sri Hersh, Yehudas, Chayasta, Sarifka, and Tzirulchanah, and one son and four daughters. In this letter written to the heavens, he asked God to keep in mind that they all died as God-fearing Jews with their hopes, dreams, and promises extinguished, yet sanctifying his name, and therefore his plea to the Almighty was that they deserved to go directly to heaven. At the same time, he reminded God to remember the destruction that Nazis had brought on the entire Jewish people, and on his family in particular, were they not human beings with hopes promises for the future.
0: You know what's uh, unique and amazing about your family history? On one side, you have the essence of destruction and on the other side you have the essence of survival it is unbelievable the narrative that that you have in your family
1: but it's not just my family Uh, michael Barenbaum wrote an article just yesterday in jewish news service uh he's a historian on the holocaust Mm -hmm. and he talks about the legacy of the survivors and that really is something that we have to take out. We have to, of course, memorialize the six million, including my five siblings from my father's side. Right. Every sibling that my father had, he came out alone. My father-in-law came out as sole survivor of one of eight children. But my father lost uh, his brothers, sisters, brother-in-laws. One sister-in-law survived with two nieces. All the rest, they were all married. All the rest of them were perished. The rav in the town that we came from, Chaim Yehuda Leib Goldmerk, who happened to be named after, my father's first cousin, had 12 children. All I assume they were all married because they, you know, he became rav in, in 1918. He was already 40. Right. Not one single survivor from the entire family. Not one single survivor from the entire family. So it, it's complete families that were completely, completely wiped out. On the other hand, all of these survivors, and they're they're really passing very quickly now, very rapidly, all of these survivors made a decision whether they should remain from, whether they should become from, whether they should become not from. Each one, each one. If you think they just woke up when they were liberated, whether it was in Auschwitz on January, I think, 19th, 1945, or my mother and our sisters when they were liberated in Germany, uh, and I think it was April 4th of 1945. If you think that all of these came out of the camps and said, I was from before the war, I'll be from after the war, and no big deal. Each one, each one went through his own hell in his mind and her mind, thinking what they went through, realizing going back home in most cases and finding almost no family or minimal members of the family still alive, seeing the destruction of their homes, of their livelihoods, of everything. And if you think that each one said, no problem, I'll be from again, Mm -hmm. I can't begin to think what went through their minds. I really can't.
0: And look at the families they built subsequently. Leon Goldenberg is with us on this Yom Shoah. I've asked you to address two points this morning um, in the context of looking back and at the same time uh, living the way we are here in the United States and other parts of the world on the Yomar Shoah. Uh, you've been um, concerned and you've expressed that concern over the last few months about the future of Jews in New York and the future of our community in the United States in general. Um The the stories you've told us over the years are gripping. Uh, Again, I'm recommending to the listeners you have to go and hear the stories that Leon has told us on prior Yomashua programs just to understand and appreciate the background that he comes from and what he brings to the table when we discuss issues of today. I want to do both, the positive and the negative. How do you view things when you see the, thank God, luxury and comfort that we live in now, including in the New York area? And how do you view things in the context of history when you see certain directions that both New York and this country are going in in 2021?
1: I don't believe that we're coming to the end of Jewish life in America. Although, although, Rabbi Volashan in a very famous statement that he made, and he passed away, I think, in 1816, before there was the Golden Medina, said that the final resting place of Torah, be on the West, on the North American continent, hmm. uh, so it probably will be. I don't believe we're in that much danger, but we have to be careful. There's danger from the right. There's a lot worse danger from the left. And why do I say that? The right, the crazy right, is much much smaller. Okay, there there are plenty of them, and they're very dangerous, and they're the ones with the gun. But it's the far left that's much more of a concern to me, because they are controlling the powers of the media. They are controlling the movies, the TV shows. They're controlling everything. There was an interesting article about two weeks ago uh, in the paper about how, although the U.S. The Republicans won in 1968 with Richard Nixon, and everybody thought, but really the left won because the movies and the TV, which people don't realize, were pushing a progressive agenda. At that time, that agenda was what we would look back now and call very moderate and very reasonable.
0: Mild, yeah.
1: Not just mild, but things that really were important, civil rights. Uh, which was really an important issue, which, you know, uh, President Johnson had just a few years earlier signed the Civil Rights uh, Voting Act and all the other things. So they were pushing that agenda. Now the agenda is woke, cancel, which is very
0: anti-Semitic. And a challenge for freedom of speech.
1: And a challenge for freedom of speech. And that is a real problem. And we... New York can't say anything against the left because New York is an extremely liberal state and city, especially. And moving further to the left, and there is the the danger in New York. I don't believe at this point is uh, I don't want to say physical, but you know, anti-Semitism because leaders are still very, very. Uh, against anti-semitism pro-israel. Right, you would say gener-
0: next, you would say generally it hasn't gotten violent yet.
1: Right, but it, but the but the left, the progressives are making gains. And we as a community, if we don't come out to vote in strong strong numbers, we'll face in certain districts progressives that are so far to the left like an AOC who for the first time spoke to Michael Miller of, of the JCRC. She's in office two years, two and a quarter years, and she finally got up to speak to, a, to the Jewish community when Michael Miller reached out to her after the primary right. when she first won.
0: Was that an impressive presentation, or you wouldn't describe it no, that
1: way? No, 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 but at least, at least it was a conversation.
0: Communication,
1: right? Uh, communication. Uh, which, which, but many of the left uh, don't want to talk to anybody that supports Israel, and that's really a problem.
0: It's funny because I mean today's Yom Hashoah, obviously, and and generally speaking, again, you know, the uh, we we look back at the past, and and uh, you have these uh, very inspiring tales of survival that you tell us uh, almost firsthand. It's your family, um, but yet the uh, the bottom line is that when we look to our future. Everything that you've been preaching all these decades uh, ends up being the key. And that's voter registration as, you know, (laughs) as mundane as it sounds, voter registration and getting out and supporting the right candidates. It's amazing that with everything that we have in our history, uh, the antidote, it seems, for this direction that New York and this country are going in is really simple. And that's get out there and get involved.
1: I will tell you this. We had an election, a primary election last year for the DA. It was a special election uh, for the DA of Queens. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tiffany Caban almost won. She lost by 50 to 60 votes, which means that anyone shul in Queens any one school sure in Queens, had they come out to vote in full force, husbands, wives, and, and children above 18, which, by the way, all 17-year-olds should be registering. Right. If you turn 18, you can register. My granddaughter registered at 17, and on her birthday, she's able to vote. So if, if the uh, primary is June 22nd or 23rd, if your birthday is before that, you can vote. But you can register at 17 already, and it's really very simple. Online, less than five minutes, you get registered. But Tiffany Caban lost by 50 to 60 votes. There are three million people in Queens. How many votes was the total vote count for the uh, for the DA in Queens?
0: Meaning, 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 how many people out of three million voted actually voted? Right. What's the answer? One hundred thousand. <laughs>
1: Tiffany Caban got thirty thousand odd votes. Um Miss Katz, I don't know why her first name slips me right. Was that now. Mal- was
0: that Melinda or
1: Melinda, Melinda right. Katz uh got thirty some odd thousand votes and right. won by fifty to sixty votes. Queens learned its lesson. There it was a council race uh after uh in, in Queens.
0: Oh, the actually. Gennaro uh,
1: election, right?
0: Right. They right. came they came out for that one.
1: They came out in droves, and Gennaro won. They were running against the DSA. The DSA, for those that don't know, is the Democratic Socialists of America. They are supporting now six members in the city council strongly. They bring out the vote. And if you read what their agenda is, if you are an elected official and you're thinking to visit Israel, They will not support you. You have to sign that you will not visit
0: Israel. Look, this is why, you know, when my grandmother came here as a refugee from from Germany, and this is why, you know, voting was sacrosanct. I mean, this is why they would never miss an election, because they understood that this is what it's all about. The right to vote shouldn't be taken for granted, and the activity, the active uh, way of either, you know, continuing things or changing things, you know, in a different direction, it's all about what happens at the ballot box. Uh, I hope, I mean, we're going to spend time, as we always do, you know, on this issue as we move forward and try to convince people to get involved in this way. Uh, Leon, I want to thank you. It's Yom HaShoah. Uh, We dedicate, obviously, this conversation like we do every year uh, to your family members from both sides. Stories of destruction and stories of survival that are so important for people to hear on a day like today. And uh, moving forward, hopefully the memory of yesterday, uh, of yesteryear. Um, uh, will encourage us not to be forgetful, but instead to remember and to remember the lessons of the past and hopefully implement as you 've suggested some real practical methods as we uh, look to the future. Thank you so much for joining what, us tonight.
1: one yeah. last sure. one last thing yeah. for those of you that know a holocaust survivor doesn 't have to be a relative, somebody in your building, somebody on your block it 's the last chance. To hear from them directly what they went through. And for
0: your children to hear it.
1: And for your children to hear it. Go, children, go to your grandparents, to your great-grandparents, those that still are lucky enough to have them alive. Go to your neighbor, talk to them, hear their stories, hear what they went through.
0: Great message. Thank you, Leon. Leon Goldenberg, an annual tradition for us here on Yom HaShoah, Thursday morning, day 11 in the County of the Omer, and you are listening to JM in the AM.